Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, it's good to see you. Um, we're really glad that you're here today with us at Church in the Valley. And uh, my name is Jeep Underwood. I'm the campus pastor here. We're really glad you guys chose to join us today. Today, today we're going to be beginning a new series called The Proven Playbook. Um, we're going to be looking at just, we're going to be focusing on just the core relational values that we practice here at Church in the Valley. And they're really the values that really work in all the arenas of our lives. They're really just principles from Scripture on how life really works. And, you know, today, you know, football season has finally started. That is uh, something my family and I, we look for every year. Uh, when it's over, we can't wait till it starts. And sometimes there's difficult games and you're, you're wishing it had maybe delayed a little bit. But, uh, but you know, one thing is we like, we like looking at, you know, we're really into USC football. We're really, my sons are really into, uh, the Patriots and the Seahawks. Um, there's, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we've actually developed this interest recently in the New York Jets because of a certain USC alumni, uh, who's now the, uh, lead quarterback there. And so it's just, we've just been, uh, you know, been kind of interested there a little bit. But you know, one thing, one thing you see with football and teams, you see that they really have a playbook of plays that they run. They have like, uh, that's just really what they, they, their go-to, the things that they, they study, they practice so that they can really work together as a team. And, uh, in football, you see the coach, the players, you know, the quarterback will come over to the side and talk to the coach. In fact, here's a picture. You can take a look. Here's, you know, just the quarterback coming over, talking to the coach. They got the playbook. They're trying to decide which, what they ought to do in the moment, what they're facing. And then on the field itself, go ahead and go to the next slide. You know, you got guys, you know, they, they actually have the playbook right there on their arm. They just keep it with them. So they just kind of keep track of what it is they need to do, what their options are. And there are things that the whole team has really uh, developed. And, you know, the different football teams, they have all kinds of plays that they run. Uh, there's some hopeful plays. Uh, I remember when I was a, when I was a kid watching the Cowboys and Roger Staubach came up with this phrase called the Hail Mary, where he just put it up and, uh, it was kind of get everybody down there and hope we come up with the ball in the end zone. There's hopeful plays, there's risky plays. I remember my dad's favorite team when I was growing up was the Oakland Raiders. And I remember was one play, we were watching this game, and Kenny Stabler was the quarterback, and he, he, he's gonna get sacked, it's like the fourth down, and, uh, it's like two minutes left in the game, they're behind, they need a touchdown, and he intentionally forward fumbles the ball. And you're like, whoa, and it was like, he dropped the ball! And then one of the, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the other guys comes along, they, they pick it up and they start to get hit, so they, they fumble the ball on purpose, and then another guy comes along and he kicks it, trying to grab it, and then one of the other Oakland Raiders jumps on in the end zone. Won the game. Incredible play. Well, incredible risky play. It's like, this it is total luck, but it was actually something that Kenny Stabler had always kind of in the back of his mind. He'd try. Next year they changed the rule, you can't do that anymore, so, um, but anyway, you know, just there's those kinds of plays. But then there's the trusted plays. There's the trusted plays that winning teams really rely on that really bring success. They're the ones that over and over again, when they use those, they really do bring success. And really, you know, in life, it's really the same way. In life, we're always deciding what plays we're going to run. Uh, as we relate to and live with the people around us, we're always deciding, like, how we're going to do that. As we live our lives, it's easy also to do things that are kind of hopeful and risky, Kind of like we just, I hope this works. Or, 
we do things that are kind of just, they're just risky things, and we just kind of hope that everything turns out okay, but we really need to have trusted plays uh, that we can, that we know will really bring success, that we just kind of begin to work into our lives, and so that our lives can really uh, make some progress. And as followers of Christ, God really gives us our trusted plays in the Scripture. That's one of his main purposes in the Scriptures, is to really help us really know how to navigate navigate our lives. Now, however, most people most people are just running whatever relational plays that seem to make sense to them in the moment. And you know, a place you you, know, you see this all over your life, all of us do. But one place that you can really see this is uh if you go on jury duty. I don't know if you guys have any of you guys ever had jury duty? How many of you guys have done jury duty? Yeah. So there's, there's just quite a few of us. You know, a jury is basically a room full of people with different agendas and looking out mostly for their own interests, and they just don't really want to be there to begin with. But they have a really important job to do. They have to find the truth in the matter and come to a verdict. So they have something they really need to do. Now, um, it's not really a team environment, really, to begin with, but they have to get something done. And I, I was, I've been on a couple of juries. One, one was a pretty positive experience. The second one, not so much. Um, we had... Uh, uh, it was a criminal case, and it was actually a real simple case. It, it was, thankfully, no one was really hurt, but a man was charged with assault. And when they laid out the evidence, it was like so clear. I mean, I mean, I don't even know why we had to get together. It was just, I mean, this guy, uh, it, it was him, and he did it, and it was between two brothers. It was kind of a, it was kind of a sad case, but it was just clear. So we come back to the room, you know, we come, we're gonna do our jury stuff, and, and someone goes, uh, has anyone ever been on a jury before? And, and you know, I learned my lesson. Don't volunteer information if you're on a jury if you don't want to. And I just said, well, I was on one jury. And they go, you're the foreman. I went, oh, good, good. How do you do that? So if you've, if you've, ever, if you've ever led a small group discussion where nobody likes each other, it's an interesting experience. Um, but, you know, people, all different kinds of backgrounds. So anyway, we, we talked about the evidence for probably about an hour and then, uh, had us vote, and we voted. It has to be unanimous in a criminal case. And so it came up 11 to 1. And I, I was surprised because I'm like, man, I mean, I, it could not have been more compelling. I, I actually felt guilty that I was, that I was, they were paying me jury's wages because it was so clear. And, uh, so I, we, we talked to the, the one gentleman like, hey, well, what is it? And he goes, well, you know, I, I think you're probably right. I think he probably is guilty, but, he maybe he had a bad childhood, and uh, he's not really responsible. And you're like, oh man! Right then, several people just jumped all over him, and I'm like, trying, wait, hold on, just they're just like just ripping him on one side or the other, and it was just not pleasant. And so then I I just spent some time just trying to get people just kind of being cordial with one another, and, and then I spent a little time talking to him a little bit. And I'm not going to tell you the whole the whole story, but I was trying to draw him out, trying to understand what he was thinking, and. And then actually, we you know what saved us wasn't unity and it wasn't camaraderie. What saved us was four o'clock. Because, uh, when four o'clock came, this gentleman, his resolve to stand by what he was wanting to think began to wane. Because he, I think he began to realize that he was going to have to come back the next day with all of us again if we didn't come to an agreement. And he changed his vote. And basically he came back, you know, hey, you know, I always thought he was. And, and so I asked him a couple of questions. I want to make sure that he wasn't, I mean, we had a job to do and make sure that he really believed that. And he did. So it was, and it was over. Um, you know, that's not at all how a team should operate. 
And really, uh, you know, we're really a team here at Church in the Valley. And we really have trusted plays that come from Scripture. They're really, they're principles from Scripture that we try to run here at the church. And, and, and also that each of us really run these plays in our own lives. They're really applicable to every relational arena of our lives, uh, in our family, in our work, uh, at school, uh, with our friends, uh, here in the church life. And, and in the church, we really choose to relate to one another according to these principles so that as a team, we will have good relationships and really make progress in uh, the mission that God's really given, given us. And what we, we call these trusted plays, the hard attitudes. These are the, the hard attitudes. These are, these are the, uh, the plays that we really want to run in life so that we really have good relationships and have good teams. Now, why do we call them the hard attitudes? Just real quick, the heart, when you look at that word in the scripture, the heart is really, it's the real you. It's kind of like the cockpit of your life where you're making decisions and you're really deciding how you're going to do things. And attitudes, the attitudes you choose in life really determine how you deal with people and situations in your life. And so those really, those attitudes you choose really have a lot of bearing on how you really, uh, how you really deal with people in the, in the situations you're facing. And the hard attitudes that we're talking about, they're not, they're not, they're not just outward actions. They're really, they come from a desire to follow after God from the core of who we are. And so it's, it's a, it's a really a way of just taking scriptural principles and really putting feet to them so that we really live and act that way. So the first trusted play that we want to look at today uh, in the series is play number one is put the goals and interests of others above my own. Put the goals and interests of others above my own. This uh, this play is really described in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. I'd like to take a look at that real quick. Paul says this. He says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. When you look at, when you look at uh, that word selfishness in uh, what that really means in the original languages, it means like self-seeking, uh, seeking your own agenda, maybe trying to get other people to kind of come along with your, what you want to do. And then that empty conceit is just like a, just an, it literally means empty glory. It's just kind of an emptiness. So if our approach to life is consumed with our own agenda, and it really leads to just an emptiness, we might actually get the things we're aiming at, but we'll find out that they're just really empty when we get there. But if we, in humility, look out for each other's interest, what it does is it brings real unity to the team and real success to the effort. It brings real unity to the team you're in and real success to the effort as you begin to really pull together. Now, that's that paints a picture very different from my jury duty experience. Very, very different. In fact, we really saw this last Sunday when uh, the power was out here in the auditorium. This is something, you know, some of you may not have been here last week, but last week, some of you know, our teams, some of our setup teams and the people that set up the things we're doing here this morning, they came in and they saw, they found out that the power was out. And what they did was, is they thought of the congregation. They thought of what needed to happen. And they be, put the interests of the overall congregation, all of us, above their own interests. And they began to really work hard to figure out how to deal with that. And, um, you know, we were able to have church service last Sunday because of that. We had kid zone and the classes were all down the hallway up there and out in courtyards. And we had... uh we had the same, we actually had sound outside. We had the chairs set up, shade structures that had to be brought from people's homes. 
uh, and also the ones we had here, just to make sure that people were taken care of. It was kind of a hot day, just really looking out for our interests. We really saw what this looks like here and how we operate here at the church. So what I want to look at today is like, how do you begin to learn to play, to run this play in your own life? How do you begin to learn to run this play in your own life? And to start with, just look at the next few verses uh, in Philippians 2, 5, and 8, where Paul says this. He just said uh, what we just looked at before about putting the interest of others above your own. He says, have this attitude in yourself, which is in, also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is, he had an attitude of really considering others above his, of himself, not just in the sacrificial love that he gave when he sacrificed himself, but it was really the way he operated, the way that he lived. In fact, that the first part of like how do you get how do you run this play in your own life is you really have to love one another like Jesus did. You really have to love one another as Jesus loved people. Um, and I want to take a look this morning at just a just a story in the scripture. We kind of look at a picture of like what how this really worked in Jesus' life. How did he really do this in his own life? And uh there's a it's a story where Jesus has just sent his disciples off in twos to have a ministry in the lives of other people in the different cities. He sent them out and they come back to him and they're really sharing with him like all the things that God has done for them. They're really excited about that. They're really excited about what, what God's really been doing in their lives. And Jesus is really listening to them. So let's take a look. Mark six thirty to 32. It says the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in a boat to a secluded place by themselves. So what you see is, you know, Jesus gave them real time to reflect on the ministry they had. He gave them some feedback. They had a good time of sharing. And then he really saw that they really needed some rest. And so there's all these people around them, a lot of hubbub. And so he led them got them in a boat, and they went away to a place where they could really rest. Now, that sounds really, that sounds really good, and it was very caring of God, very, very caring of Jesus really to do that. He's looking out for their interest. Then when they got there, though, let's look at the next uh, couple verses. It says, The people saw them going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. So when Jesus, So when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd. And he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So, you know, the crowd saw that they were, they left. You know, they left to get alone and get some time away. The crowd kind of sees, hey, where the, I think I know where they're headed. And they run around and they go to the other part of the lake and they get there before him. And so what we don't see is Jesus doesn't get off the boat and say, guys, actually, we're here for a retreat. Um, we're really needing some rest and uh, maybe tomorrow. Maybe you guys can come back tomorrow. What he does is he, he felt, it says he felt compassion for them. And he felt compassion for them and he changed his plans. And he taught them many things. He changed his plans. He, he changed what they were going to do that day. And he began to really work with them. So one thing, like to move, the next thing to just move from 
into a place where you're really uh, running this play in your life is just to move from selfishness to compassion. We really need to move from selfishness to compassion. Um, the word for compassion <clears throat> in that passage we just read, it means like a, it's a sympathy. Uh, it's a really deep empathy for someone else. It means you really care about people. It means their struggles really get to you. It means you begin to really look through their eyes. You begin to really see what it is they need. And so Jesus saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd and that they were really pursuing him. They really were sacrificing to spend time with him. They really were seeking him out. And it really gave, he, he saw that through their eyes and he just really responded to that. <clears throat> now I'll tell you where I struggle with seeing other people and their, what it is they need to get done is when I'm driving. I don't know if you guys have a, any similar experience is, you know, usually when I'm going somewhere, I got to get somewhere. And so I'm, I'm dry, I start driving and I'm like really focused and you got to get over and it's like people are in the way and you, you just gets really, uh, it gets really frustrated. And it's a place where I can see the, I can really see the pride that I have. The pride that I have that I really want to get where I want to go. And I'm not looking, my natural bend is not really to look to other people. And I've, I've learned to do that more. One years ago, a couple of years ago, a friend of mine, we were together and he was talking to somebody and he says, Hey, this one day I was getting on the freeway and I was trying to merge on and no one would let me in. And I looked over and I saw a Jeep and I thought, oh, no, where's this story going? Was this one of those times when I was like I ought to be or one of those times when like I should not be? And, and he says, yeah, Jeep just, he slowed down, let me in, didn't even know who I was. I went, <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad that that was the story he was telling because there have been times. And, uh, you know, having someone alongside you, uh, my wife has been really helpful on this. Uh, someone pulls in, someone pulls in, I'll like, uh, I'll start, uh, like someone kind of won't let me in and then they start tailgating me after I get in and I get, that's one thing that really frustrates me. And so I, you know, just let off the accelerator and go, well, I'll give you something to tailgate. You know, I'm just, and, uh, one time then Kate, Kate just said, Jeep, isn't that like taking vengeance? I went, what? Well, well, yeah, actually, actually it really is. And so I just, all right, and I sped up. And so actually, you know what? That sticks, that stuck with me. Many times I'll catch myself doing something like that. And then, okay, man, I gotta really watch it. That, this pride is one, is it like it crowds people out. That pride, it, uh, you know, pride, it, what it does is it deprioritizes the other people in the room. You know, uh, when you're, when you're full of yourself, there's really not any room for anybody else. So you really have to fight that pride. To move from selfishness to really empathize with people, you have to fight that pride that's in all of us and really adopt a humble attitude. And uh, when you do, if, if you don't do that, what it does is it just cuts you off from the benefit of this play that we're talking about today, This of really putting the, the benefits of putting each other's interests above your own. Let's say you're in a group. Let's say you're in a group of ten people and... Everyone's just looking out for their own interest. Well, then you have exactly one person looking out for you. But let's say everyone in that group of ten is really looking out for each other's interest. You now have ten people looking out for you. And it's a whole different experience when other people are looking out for you and you're looking out for them. It's a whole different way of life. And it makes a huge difference in life. Um, and, uh, and it really, and it leads us to the next thing. As you do that, 
the next thing, as you as you want to build this into your life and how to run this play in your own life, is you need to bear one another's burdens. You need to bear one another's burdens. Um, looking looking for real ways to serve one another and really help them with their goals. Uh, and when you when you begin to be able to empathize with people and see through their eyes, you actually get close enough to see how you could really help. And so when you get close enough to see how you could really help, then you can really do something to really help. So God, you know, Paul, Paul says something in Galatians uh, chapter 6 that can sound confusing on the face of it. I'd like to just take a look at that. In Galatians, it's Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 and verse 5. He says this, he says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For each one, And then the next verse is, For each one will bear his own load. And it, that can sound a little contradictory. Um, until, one thing that really helps is you look at the meanings of those words. Like the word for load, the word he uses for the load that we carry is, it basically just means just literally something carried. It's kind of like, it's a word they use for the, the cargo of a ship, like just the cargo that you carry on a ship. It's, it's kind of, it's the load of responsibilities that you carry in life. All of us carry a load of responsibilities that we're really, uh, we're really responsible to take care of that we'll be accountable for. And then when you look at the other word, the word for burdens, what it means is that it's a, a really heavy load, a really heavy load. And it's really, it's something that's very hard for someone to bear, something that's very hard for someone to handle. And, uh, so what I'd like to do is, I want to take a look at a movie clip this morning. And it's, uh, it's a movie clip from The Lord of the Rings, which is, it's my second favorite movies. And, uh, uh, actually there's three of them, so I'm conflicted. I don't know which is my, it's like all together. Twelve hours. Um, so, uh, but what I want to do, this, this clip is, it's from Return of the King, and it's when, Frodo has been carrying this ring. And if you don't know Lord of the Rings, I think you'll still kind of get the idea of this clip. But Frodo has uh, this weight bearing on him, and it's overwhelming him. I want you to just take a look and see how that how that turned out. Fire! 
recognize, then let us be rid of it. Once and for all. Come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you. But I can carry you. Come on! That's a great clip. <clears throat> you know, he said, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. I, I just think that's a, just a, a perfect picture of what, what Paul was talking about here. Is we have things we have to carry. But when we, when someone, when someone we know, someone we need to, that's in relationship with us begins to carry more than they can handle. Or we just find ways we can really help them. And what it does is it builds our refer- relationships. And it really gets the job done. It really makes progress in the goal that we're trying to get to. Um, bearing one another's burdens, it, it doesn't mean that you let someone freeload in life by handling all their responsibilities for them. Uh, each person on the team really has a role to play and a load to bear. That's just that's life. That's the way it's supposed to be. But it does mean that you sacrifice for them and serve them when the load gets too heavy. You know, I've got a, I've got a. a there's a person I know at work. We were talking one time, and he, we're, we're talking about moving people. I, I think I just helped somebody move or something. He goes, "Up, oh, I have a policy." And I said, "Oh, really?" He goes, "I, uh, I don't help people move. I, it's my policy." I went, "Okay." That's, and he was like dead serious about it. I'm like, "Okay." He goes, "Yep. If they, uh, if there's an email with that in the title, I just, I just don't read it. I just, I don't help people move." I went, and I, and I thought to myself, well, that works real great if you never move yourself, you know. It's, uh, it can get real lonely, uh, when you actually need someone to help you move. But then I, I, as he said that, I was just thinking about, one thing that came to my mind, so one thing that came to my mind was, you know, four years ago, we had to move, we had to very quickly move from the house we'd been renting to another house. And it was abrupt, and I didn't, I couldn't, uh, we, we, God really provided us a house amazingly. But I wasn't able to seal the deal until about four days before we had to move. And it was really weighing on me, trying to figure out how to make all this happen. <clears throat> and I just didn't even know if I was going to have a house till four days before I had to move. And so God really brought brought everything across the finish line, and I was able to seal the deal. And I sent an email out to, to many people uh, here in the church and just said, I'm sorry this is so late notice. But, you know, I kind of explained why I didn't have a... There was no way I, there's no way I could have not done it that way. But if anybody has any time, could you help me move this weekend? And I'll tell you, that day, 34 people showed up. And what had been weighing on me and weighing on me was done in three and a half hours. And it was just, it was just huge. And I remember when we're moving in, the, the owner of the house we moved into was there and he came out and he looked at me and he goes, you know all those people? <laughs> and I said, I said, I do actually. They go to, they, they're part of the church I go to. And he goes, wow. He says, you know, I don't think, I, I don't, I can't think of two people that I know that would show up to help me move. And I, and I, it was just, you know, just a statement he made and I just, it resonated with me and I just thought how grateful I was to just have this group of people that really, really care 
and really help. I mean, that's that's really a picture what this looks like. You know, if you if you saw, think through like the the people that are living around you, the people that you're relating to. If you were to see through their eyes what they're facing, you know, uh, what are you, what are your kids facing right now that you could really help bear with them? Um, what's your husband or wife facing right now that you could really help bear with them? You know, what are you, what are your friends at school facing right now that you could really bear with them? Uh, what are your coworkers facing that you could really help bear with them? And then, you know, what are some people around you here at the church? What are they facing? What is some way you could really bear with them? Um, it makes all the difference in the world when we all begin to be thinking like that and begin helping one another. It makes all the difference. Uh, several years ago, uh, just kind of give you just a picture of how I've seen this work in, in one particular arena. Several years ago, I was given the responsibility to lead a large flood control project in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, this was quite a few years ago. I was uh, a lot younger than I am now. And it was the first time I'd led anything that complex. It had, an, it had environmental restoration as part of it. it, had recreation, and it had flood control. All these things, things I had to learn. So I had a bunch, of, a bunch of agencies that were involved. But the three main ones were Pima County Flood Control District, the City of Tucson, and the Tucson Unified School District. Because the school district was going to provide some property we're going to use for one of our, one of our detention basins. And so we got all these folks together and then, uh, we also had our own Corps of Engineers team that worked together and had this big room. We started these monthly meetings in Tucson to work through the design of this and the coordination of this. And the first meeting we have, I saw Tucson Unified School District was over here. Um, Pima County was over here and City of Tucson was over here and they just, they just were so, they isolated from each other and we got done with the meeting. I was just like, man, what, why, why, why was there so much space between everybody? And there was a guy that told me, he says, you know what? Nobody here gets along with each other. I went, oh, good. <laughs> I was kind of hoping. Um, said, uh, nobody here gets along with each other. In fact, uh, you know, each of these agencies have their own agenda and a lot of their agendas just don't work with each other. And they, there's also a, uh, a real, I found out that Tucson's a very political city. So there's this political undercurrent of everything as these different agencies related to each other. And we also, to, to add to that, our environmental compliance person on the core side was very adversarial. They were just like, every meeting they were just like, they had things they wanted to make sure were done and it got really adversarial. And, and I, I had my own agenda. I wanted to try to get this project designed and done. And so what I found, I got really frustrated for a while. I got pretty frustrated for a while because it was like when worlds collide. It was just like I had my agenda, they had their agenda, and trying to figure out how to go through this. And then it, I began to approach it differently. I began I began to think through the lens of what we're talking about today, of just this play, of just uh, putting the goals and interests of others above your own. And I, So what I did is I met with the environmental compliance person individually. We just talked. And I listened to everything she had to say. I just kept asking her questions, I, and I really listened to what her concerns were. And what I found is that she had this real fear that we were going to run roughshod over all the environmental commitments, and and she was going to, and, and we just weren't going to care about the things we needed to do. And so when I began to understand that, I, I mean, I told her, I said, "Well, I'll tell you, I'll make a commitment to you as the lead of this team that we will meet every one of these environmental commitments, and I will make sure that it does not get lost at all." And then what I did in the meetings is I just created some space, conversational space, for her to get her parts out 
and the things she was concerned about it in the whole big meetings when we had every month. And then as we're in those meetings, I began just trying to draw out from Tucson Unified School District what their main concerns were, what it is they were trying to get done. And what, and then I did the same, then the same with Pima County and with the uh, city of Tucson. And I did is I just created space in the meetings where they could really bring those things up and we began to put those on a list with everything. And we just, we treated all those as very important things as a team. And what I began to notice is that they actually began helping one another. You know, the city of Tucson would say, well, we really want this, but you know, I know, well, Pima County really needs this. Well, we could do this. It meets both our needs. And we just started sort of seeing some real camaraderie between them over time. Now, this took, you know, anytime you do a major project like this, it takes years. So it's, this, we're talking about about a two-year period. There began to be some real camaraderie in this team and and really pulling together. And I remember someone attending our meeting at the, towards the end. And he came, he came to me afterwards. And he made a remark, and that remark really stuck with me. He, he said, this doesn't happen anywhere else. You never see these people talking to each other. This is just the only place I've ever seen this this happen, where people pull together. And it, it just, uh, I think that it paints a real picture of when you, when you begin as a group, begin to really pull for each other, it brings unity and, to the team. And so I want to show you a picture. This is a picture. Uh, this is a big part of that project. It's most of it's built now, but this is a, this is Tucson Unified School District property. And this feature over here that looks, it looked kind of like a stadium seating is actually a spillway. So when the hundred year flood comes through this channel, uh, it will spill over and fill up this huge area here. It's a very big hole in the ground. But, but it, we really took care of the Tucson Unified School District. They got all kinds of stuff. I mean, they have like the best facilities in town now. And so they, there were just a lot of things that we were able to coordinate with each other. When you put the goals and interest of others above your own, that's just how life works. That's just how life works. When you run that play, that's just how life works. In fact, if you and I will practice this play from the playbook, we'll find that in every setting we're at, that we'll be a catalyst for bringing people together. If we will just, we'll find that if we practice this play, then in every setting we are, we'll be a catalyst for bringing people together. And so, you know, if you practice this in your family, you'll have better relationships in your family and a stronger family. If you practice this at work, you'll have better relationships at work and a stronger teams that you're part of. And at school, if you'll have stronger friendships and uh, better group projects because there's about a million group projects you do in school, it seems like. There's just all kinds of things you're pulling together on trying to accomplish. And then as we practice this in our church with more and more of us just continuing to put the goals and interests of others before our own, then we really will have a stronger, more unified team working to accomplish as God purposes here. It, uh, it really does make all the difference. So as we, as we go into this week and as I wrap up this morning, as we go into this week, each one of us, let's look for ways to really love like Jesus does and, and just moving from selfishness to compassion. You know, look for ways to really love like Jesus does and move from selfishness to compassion. And then as we see through the eyes of the people around us, really look for ways that we can bear one another's burdens and really serve one another and uh, and really help one another out. And I'd also like to ask you just to really consider signing up for a group. The group sign-ups are starting today, but groups are a place where this can, it's a place where you can really see this happening. 
And it gets you to a, an arena where you can really have relationships with people and really get known. You can know people and they can really know you. So really strongly consider that. I'd like to ask the band to go ahead and uh, come back up. And uh, Right now would be a good time to go ahead and finish filling out your communication card if you haven't had time yet. And I'd like to walk through just a few next steps. You know, maybe for you a next step is just to begin seeing the interest of other people around you. It begin just getting close enough to people where you can really see. And then maybe for you, actively looking out for the interest of someone that God's really put on your heart today. Maybe, maybe God, as I was speaking, God put an idea or a, a person in your mind. Or maybe there's something else that God's really put uh, on you today as you were listening. And I just, just pray that you take that next step. Let, let's pray. Dear God, Father, I'm just uh, very grateful to you that you put, you put our interests. You showed us what it looked like and that you sacrificed yourself so that we could know you and that we could be free from sin and really come into relationship with you. And God, I just pray um, that this week that more and more you'd help us to really connect with you and to develop just hearts of compassion and ways that we can really help other people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.